Well, as we finish off our series in the book of Jude, I thought I'd bring the concluding sermon from Jimmy's Beach up at Hawk's Nest. And to get here, I had to come over uh, the, well, I was going to say world famous, but I'm not so sure about that, but the singing bridge between tea gardens and Hawk's Nest. It's not very windy today, but when it does, it draws its name from the fact that as the wind hits the bridge, it whistles, it sings. The bridge sings when the wind blows, otherwise it doesn't. Today's session in Jude, as we finish off this very short but gospel-rich letter, Jude leads us to a place of worship. Not necessarily singing, it can be, but our hearts sing when the wind blows, when the spirit moves. And we want to address just these last two verses. I'm always a little bit concerned when I hear Christians uh, say something to the effect of that uh, our faith needs to be you know, less up here, and they say so while tapping their head, and more in here while they tap their heart. And I get what they mean, I do. Um, there is a real danger, isn't there, of our faith being purely uh, academic exercise filled with facts and knowledge and yet it never seems to grip our heart and grip our hands and our life in any way shape or form we've seen that we know that within our own lives and so i get it it's a danger but here's why the idea behind that saying concerns me listen we don't need to liberate our heart from our head we need to captivate our heart with our head theology should always lead to doxology or to say that different doctrine should always lead us to devotion or in other words the truth of God's word should always lead us to worship him. That's the whole point of the Bible. God is deserving of our praise. And that's what Jude is doing for us. He's been pleading with us. Watch out for the wolves, he says. The grace of God in Christ Jesus is worth fighting for. Now he's going to do that as he rounds off this letter. And so let's read verses 24 down to the end of the chapter. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy to the only God our Saviour, Through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. What I'd like to do in just this short time is break down a few of these phrases that Jude uses to lead us into worship here. I want you to notice that to begin with, he's saying, listen... God is able. 
He does that from verses 24 and the first part of verse 25. God is able. He does that in a number of ways. The first way is God's able to keep us, to help us protect us from stumbling. God is able. Maybe you're like me and you sort of think, well, I seem to be stumbling all the time. It doesn't mean that you're going to live some perfect life aloof from the effects of the curse of sin in this world. But it does mean that you're not held captive by it anymore. And it is God who is able to do that, not your willpower. I've battled with sin my entire life, funnily enough. And in general, I'm the sort of person that thinks I've got pretty good willpower. Um, The only things that really test it are my grandma's caramel slice. Willpower goes out the window. Um, When my wife makes bonoffi pie, my willpower goes out the window. And, well, only about 500 other things. We think that we've got pretty good willpower. But it's not us who can keep us from falling. It's God. God is able to keep you from falling. In fact, as Jesus prays to the Father in that great high priestly prayer through John 17, he says this from verse 12 onwards, While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. And now I'm coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy complete in them. I've given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Do you realize that Just as Jesus was preparing himself to go to the cross, he took the time to pray for you, for me. And he is able to keep us. Not only that, Jude says he's able to sanctify us. He says, now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish, And with great joy. That high priestly prayer that he uttered in verse 17. Jesus says to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God is at work in your life. I know. Just like walking over the sand dunes to get here, it can feel like a hard slog. It can feel like you get one foot forward and slide three steps back. But God is at work. He's he's taking you and shaping you, and he's doing that for me also. Despite the setbacks, despite the failures, despite the sin that I still battle against in my life, God is at work. Philippians 1.6 Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
Jesus was the one who says, it is finished. Your sin has been dealt with. But the work of sanctification is ongoing in your life. You are being transformed and changed through the Word of God to look more and more like Jesus until one day you will stand in His presence, spotless, without blemish, and Jesus will say again, it's finished. I did, I completed what I set out to do in your life and in my life. It seems so far away, doesn't it? So many things yet to be dealt with. So many hard corners to be knocked off. So many sins to be uprooted and removed. But I want you to know, Jesus will see it through. He's able to keep us. He's able to sanctify us. And we will stand in His presence in glory without blemish. And listen, not filled with shame. With great joy, we will see our Saviour. Which leads me to the last thing that I want to outline from these opening phrases of Jude's. He's able to save us. So it says, Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is our saviour. Yes, there's lots of pictures of who he is. He's our friend, the one that sticks closer than a brother. He's our shepherd. He's our shield. But never forget that first he was our saviour. Jesus is the one who came from glory to rescue you, me absolutely helpless without him lost in our sin not only lost in our sin but rebelling against God enemies with God and Jesus came and saw us and rescued us he is our saviour it's why Paul I believe in Romans 1.16 is so confidently able to say for I am not ashamed of the gospel Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Everyone's included. We're not ashamed of this. It's the power of God for salvation. And it's found in Jesus. Or the writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 7 and verse 25. He's speaking about Jesus and his role as a great high priest. Far superior than all the priests that have ever lived prior to him. He says in verse 25, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. Not partial salvation. Not you got most of the way there, but you just fell short. Jesus is able to keep us, to sanctify us, He's able to save us. He can do it. The last thing that Jude does as he rounds off this book is he asks us to lift our eyes and behold our God. And he makes five observations about him. First thing he says is, he's glorious. It's good for us just to stop 
to not only thank God for what he's done for us, and the, the list is endless for that, but to actually see not just what he's done, but who he is. Jude says he's glorious. He outlines the splendor of God and, and the implications of that splendor on us. We see his glory. That's what the disciples said, what John was able to say in the beginning of his gospel. The word who became flesh and dwelt amongst us and we have seen his glory. We have beheld his glory. Jesus is glorious. He's also majestic. Majestic gives us the idea of his royal position. Jesus is the, the, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. But it also shows us the greatness of, or, or the quality maybe, of his character. He's majestic. He's glorious. He's powerful. More powerful than we can realize. More powerful than we think Satan is and all his traps and all of his schemes to trip us up. One day Jesus will take him like the dog that he is and throw him and chain him away and finally defeat him and he will be removed into a lake of fire. And it is Jesus, the one who rides victoriously, not this time on a donkey towards his death, but on a great battle charger with the word of God proceeding from his mouth. And as he opens up his mouth, the enemies of righteousness, the enemies of holiness fall away. He's powerful. He's authoritative. He has authority. He is sovereign and he rules with wisdom and justice. He is the king. He is the Lord. And he's eternal. His reign knows no end. That's why Jude is able to say, to the only God our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Jude's been a letter for our time, hasn't it? While the world seems to spiral in darkness and despair, Jude has lifted our eyes to see the King who rules over it all. And he's pointed us to Jesus. But he's also reminded us that we have a fight on our hands. A fight for the faith that's been handed down to us once for all time. A faith that rests entirely on God's grace and not our ability to impress God with our religious zeal. Jude has asked us to contend for what really matters. Not simply our supposed religious liberties or our spiritual preferences, but he's asked us to reinstate an ancient battle cry as our theme. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone alone, according to the scriptures alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen.